Hello everyone and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez and I want to thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, a special message by Pastor Rick. Hey, I am super, super, super <laughs> excited today because we're kicking off a brand new series that we've entitled At The Movies. And this is going to be so much fun. And right out of the shoot, our first movie is... Yeah, Aladdin. How many of you saw the earlier version or the latest version of Aladdin? Let me see your hands. Yeah, um, a couple weeks ago, I took Autumn, my 12-year-old granddaughter, to watch it. And we absolutely loved it. Laughed all the way through it. Now, for those of you who've never seen Aladdin, let me give you sort of the quick storyline of the movie. To begin with, there are a lot of characters in this movie. There, for example, there is the Sultan, and then there is the Sultan's daughter. Her name is Jasmine. She's this beautiful princess. And then there's the evil sorcerer named Jofar. He's the bad guy. He's the villain in the movie. And, and, then, there's, and then there's the monkey. And then there's, yeah, there's the, uh, the magic rug, the magic carpet. But folks, the two major characters in this movie are, number one, this young Arabian guy named Aladdin, who amazingly, amazingly looks like Carlos Cardenas. We shot his face in there. Yeah, we're watching the movie, and as soon as he comes up, Autumn looks at me and says, he looks like Pastor Carlos. So Carlos is a rock star. But the other major character is this genie of the lamp whose name is, well, his name is Genie. Yeah. Now, I want you to follow the this, this storyline here because Aladdin in the movie is this poor, homeless, orphaned boy who lives on the streets of Arabia. And everybody calls Aladdin the street rat because Aladdin has to steal from people just so he can eat. Genie, on the other hand, the other main character, is this God-like figure who comes into Aladdin's life with all of this sort of omnipotent power. So you have this weak, powerless Arabian kid sort of juxtaposed to this all-powerful God-like figure, the genie. And the two of them meet. Take a look. Yeah, now, folks, I want you to stay in the story because here's sort of the, the paradox in this movie that I noticed right off. Because Aladdin, who is this weak, virtually powerless kid, becomes the master of this almighty, godlike figure. I mean, it seems backwards. In fact, when, when the genie first appears and says to this, to this boy, he says, Master, what is your wish? Aladdin looks up at him almost in disbelief and says, wait, what? I'm your master? You have all the power. 
You have all the my, I, I don't have any, I'm your master. And the genie quickly expa- explains to him, yeah, yeah, you are. That's the setup in this, in this scene, in this, in this story. He, he, says, he says to Aladdin, in this setup, even though I have all the power, and even though you have virtually none, you're my master. You're in charge. You tell me what you want from me, and I'll give it to you. Your wish, your wish is my command. Because whoever has my lamp is in charge. And whatever you ask for, I not only am able to do it, I will do it. I'm not only able to do it, I sort of have to do it. Because you have the lamp. You're in charge. Now, folks, that, 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 that was the setup in this story. And we laughed our way all the way through this fairy tale. But let me turn a corner and bring that fairy tale over to real life and over to our message today. Because what an image of how many people view their relationship to God And by that, I mean many people and even a lot of Christians sort of view God as this genie-like figure who is in the lamp. And just like in the movie, you know, Aladdin was able to leverage the lamp to get the genie to give him whatever he wanted to do. Leverage the lamp to get the genie to to give him whatever he wanted. Just like that, many Christians look at prayer as some sort of a magical lamp. And you just rub the lamp and God jumps out and does what you want him to do. Gives you what you want him to ask. Because prayer then becomes sort of like having God's lamp. And when you ask God to do something for you, this is the way a lot of people think, he not only is able to do it, but if you ask it in Jesus' name, he will do it. He must do it. Because, and when he does what you told him to do, that then validates the existence of God to you. You now believe he exists because you rubbed the lamp and he did what you asked him to do. But folks, here's the problemo with that belief. And this is my proposition today. This is what I kind of want us to walk out the door with. Belief in God as some sort of a genie who we have the power to rub his lamp, as it were, through prayer, and he jumps out and not only is able to do what you want him to do, but will do what you want him to do, That kind of thinking sets people up for disappointment with God. In other words, if your belief system is, your belief system is, when I ask God to do something, if I ask it in Jesus' name and if I somehow believe it, he he will do that. He has to do it. He's not only able, he will do that. Here's the problem. If he doesn't, do what you ask him to do, or better yet, when he doesn't do it. When he doesn't perform on cue, if that was your belief system, all of a sudden your whole belief in God is rocked to the core. And a lot of people get so rocked by that, 
that they don't believe in God anymore and they walk away from the faith. You might be saying, well, wait, 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 hold it. That's what I've heard. That's what I've been told about God. Is that not true? Is that not what I should expect from God? Well, we're going to look at, find out today the answers to that. As we look at the true story, this is not a fairy tale, this is a true story about three young Hebrew boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 3. If you don't have one, don't worry, the whole narrative will come up on the screen. But in this narrative, God teaches us three Things that we should expect of God and that we should expect in life. And this is so clarifying as we unpack this. How many of you have your listening guides at all of our campuses? I want to give you three things that God teaches us to expect from Him in life. Number one, if you're filling in the blanks. God teaches us to expect conflict. To anticipate conflict. To know that it's coming at some point. With that in mind, let's pick up this narrative beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high. So it's a gold image, a gold statue that's nine stories high is what this is. And six cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now stop right there, let me give you the backdrop to, to all of this. To begin with, this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, real king, you can read about him, not just in the Bible, but in history books, he he existed, and he was the king of what is modern-day Iraq. In fact, he was the ancient equivalent of the late Saddam Hussein, and by that I mean this guy was narcissistic, he was self-absorbed, he was greedy, he was ruthless. In fact, he has... This image made out of gold, erected of himself, nine stories high, and he puts it in the plain of Dura. The plain of Dura looks like this. You look around the plain of Dura and there's nothing out there. So he puts it out there where there's nothing to compete with it. And then, verse 2, he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial, provincial, sorry, provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. In other words, he invites all of his political cronies, his political mucky mucks to come out, not just them, but also all of the nations that Babylon ruled, all of the people, he tells them, come to the plain. And they have to. So they all show up. So you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people show up out on this plain. Watch what happens in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations of people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the, the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, folks, this is fascinating. I mean, this guy is beyond 
narcissistic. This guy is beyond self-absorbed. He actually sets up a worship service for himself. He has a worship set just like we have at all of our campuses. Only he thinks he's the object of worship. Just like we worship God, he's commanding everybody, no, no, you got to worship me, he says. And so he commands everybody to bow down and worship him with this little threat attached to the command, verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, folks, you talk about a threat. I mean, he gives everybody two options. You either bow down and worship or burn. <laughs> Those are the options. Bow, burn. So which option do you think everybody took? It was a no-brainer. Everybody bowed down. Everybody obeyed. Everybody capitulated and bowed to this image. Everybody, hundreds of thousands, except, except three Hebrew boys. We meet them in verse 12. Here's their names. Shadrach. Everybody say Shadrach. Meshach. And Abednego. Now for these three boys, bowing down to this image is not an option. They can't do it. You say, why? Because they served the same God you and I do. They served Yahweh. And you'll remember last, our last series, the Ten Commandments, right out of the chute. Commandment number two, Yahweh says to all of us, you shall not, thou shalt not bow down to any statue, any image. You don't pray to it. You don't talk to it. You don't worship it. But here's the point. All of a sudden, out of the, out of the blue, they have this life or death conflict that they're facing. But folks, here's what I want you to understand. This is so practical. Write this down as A and B. Life is filled with conflict. Whether that conflict is the threat of a tyrant like Nebuchadnezzar or the threat of some disease. Whether it is the threat of nuclear war of, or the threat of something more common like cancer. Or the threat of losing your job. Or the threat of divorce. Or the threat of financial bankruptcy. Or for some of you teens, the threat of not fitting in when school starts back with the crowd. My point is life is filled with conflict. It's a part of the human factor. So how do we, how do we navigate that reality of life? Well, for starters, write this down as B. Expect conflict so your faith doesn't get rocked you see one of the things i love about these three boys is that when this life and death conflict hits they don't freak <laughs> they don't panic they're not like oh god why are you doing this god why are you allowing us to be put into this situation they they don't they don't do that no it's as if they they were expecting it and not only were they expecting it, they, they were prepared for it. You see, folks, heads up, this is huge here. This is huge. Because a lot of people, and especially a lot of Christians, view God as, as what I would call the shield God. The genie who shields us. 
And, and they've been told that if you're good, God will not allow bad to happen to you. God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. Who knows, maybe you've been taught that. Somebody, a pastor, your mom, your grandmom, a philosopher, a, whoever, kind of gave you a fairy tale view of God that said, if you're good, God's good, and God won't allow bad things to happen to good people. He's the shield God. And you've, you've sort of had this thinking of God as a shield. But what that does is it sets people up for disappointment with God. Why? Because when the conflict hits them, in other words, they get cancer and they're dying. Or worse yet, their child gets cancer and their child is dying. All of a sudden, they're, they're so rocked by that. Because they, they weren't expecting this. They were expecting God would shield us from that. And they get so rocked, and I've seen this so many times, that they just walk away. They no longer believe. I, I, you told me God was like that. There must not be a God because look what he allowed to happen. And what I always want to say when somebody says that, I want to say, who told you that about God? Who told you that's the way God operates? Who told you that's what you should expect? I've been a God follower for a long time. And I want to tell you, my life has been conflict after conflict, bad stuff after bad stuff all the way down the line. And listen, you look at the pages of Scripture, and I'm talking about from Genesis to Revelation. Good people suffer unimaginable things, martyrdom, torture. You look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, God's people, righteous people, godly people suffer unimaginable things. Example in point, back to the story, verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You got to love Nebuchadnezzar. He, he brings these guys together and he's, he's, he's like, well, maybe, you didn't, maybe you didn't get the memo. Maybe you didn't get the email that I, that I blasted out. Maybe you don't understand the protocol, the instructions. So he goes back over and he says, now I've got all this worship set up, all these musicians and all this music. And all you've got to do is when they start playing, all you have to do is drop down and bow to the image. But if you don't bow to the image, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, I want you to watch how they immediately respond to this conflict. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego freaked out. And they begin screaming to God, God, why are you allowing this to happen to us? God, we never thought you would have. Is that what happens? No. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, 
King, King Nebuchadnezzar. You can always hear him, oh, King. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. We don't even need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't, we don't even have to think about this one. This is a no-brainer. <laughs> We're not going to bow down to you. You see, folks, when you live life not expecting conflict, you think God's the shield God. When it hits, it rocks your world. But if you live life anticipating conflict, I'm not, I'm not saying hoping for it. None of us hoping for it. But you expect it. You know that God allows it. God is not the shield God. When it hits, you're able to stand. You're not blasted over. You're not walking away from God. Now, mind you, some of you would say, oh, okay, Rick, I get that. I, I got that. I'm, I'm tracking with you on that. I know God is not, you know, the shield God. I, I, I know he doesn't promise a bed of roses. But I do believe that if I pray, God will keep me out of the conflict. God will take the conflict away if I pray in Jesus' name. He'll take away the conflict. Well, here's what God actually teaches us to expect on that. Write this down as big number two. God teaches us, don't expect rescue from all conflict. Don't expect God to jump out of the bottle and make everything okay just because you ask him to. And don't get me wrong. Write this down as A. God is, God is, he is able to save us from all conflicts. Watch what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 15. But if you do not worship, you'll be thrown immediately into the fiery, the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand. Shadrach, Meshach basically say, our God is able. <laughs> Yahweh is able. Verse 17, they say, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is what? He's able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it. It. Now, everybody heads up because here's their expectation of God. They're saying God not only is able to deliver us from this, we believe he will. And by the way, the word from there, you know, he'll deliver us from, that's the translation of the Aramaic word may. By the way, all your Bibles are either written in Greek or Hebrew, but this little portion of the Bible, Aramaic. And the Aramaic word that they use there is may. And so it means out of. In other words, they're saying, you throw us into the fire and God's just going to take us out. You throw us into the fire and God's just going to deliver us right out of it. He's not going to leave us in that fire. He's not going to let us go into that fire. In other words, that's what they're expecting is when they get thrown in is for God just to snatch them out, to extract them out. <laughs> and by the way, they're not just saying this to Nebuchadnezzar. They're praying this to God. They're praying this to God. God, we know you're able to save us. We believe you will save us out. You're going to extract us out of that. You're not letting us stay in there. You're not going to let us go into that fire. But here's what they also knew, folks. This is so critical. They also knew, write this down as B, God is sovereign. 
God is sovereign. You say, meaning what? Meaning God does what God chooses to do. And don't get me wrong. Your prayers, my prayers influence God's heart, influence God's mind, influences God's hand. But at the end of the day, you need to accept this. God will do what God thinks is best. Put another way, write this down as one. God is not a genie of the lamp. We don't rub the lamp, listen, we don't rub the lamp and God jumps out and goes, Master, what do you want me to do? He doesn't operate that way. You remember in the movie, because Aladdin had the lamp, he was the master, and he said, hey, I want out of the cave. Watch what happens. Yeah, yeah, you see, because whoever had the lamp is the genie's master. What's odd is even when the wicked sorcerer got the lamp, guess what? He then became the master. Even though he was wicked, whoever had the lamp was in charge. He, had, he could tell the genie what to do as well. Take a look. I'm telling you, listen, listen, that's the way some people view prayer. They believe that they can say, God, make me wealthy. And God's going to go, boom, you're rich. They're expecting that from God. They're told that's the way God operates. God, make my business successful. I want to be a success. I want to be famous. God, and they're told, their, their belief is that if you just pray and you, you, you couch that in Jesus' name, he has to do what you told him to do. But folks, think about it. If that were the way God operates... The most greedy people among us would be the first in line to become a Christian. The most self-absorbed people would be the most attracted to God. And let me tell you something, that kind of belief does attract greedy, does attract self-absorbed people. Some of the most greedy people on the face of the earth that I have witnessed are a lot of the TV evangelists on TV who get rich off the backs of gullible people telling those people to expect things God never promised to do. God never promised that. In fact, write this down. Have no illusions. Number two, God is master, not us. God is master, not in us. Watch what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who serves us See, that's the genie view. That's the Aladdin view. No, no, no. The God we serve is able to deliver us. In other words, they're saying, this is not the Aladdin genie set up. God is the master, and God will do what God determines to do. And what they're saying is sometimes God does what we ask him to do, and sometimes God doesn't do what we ask him to do. But either way, we trust God. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that God is sovereign, which is why they added this qualifier at the end of their statement to Nebuchadnezzar. This is so important. 
If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us out of it, and he will deliver us out of it. He's not going to let us go into it. From your majesty's hand, verse 18, here's what I want you to get. But even if he doesn't, everybody say, even if he doesn't. Everybody say, even if he doesn't. You see, what they were saying, they were saying, we believe God is able to deliver us. We're even believing God will deliver us. But we know God is sovereign and God will do what God deems is the best. And so even if he doesn't, King, you need to know we trust God. Our hope is in God alone. Listen, if you have the mindset that God is going to do everything you ask him to do because you have to couch it in Jesus' name, you're setting yourself up for disappointment with God. Listen, I am so glad that God has not said yes to everything I ask him to do. I would be married to the wrong person today if God did what I actually begged him to do one time. Thank God he is sovereign. He doesn't do what a child like me asks him to do. He's my father. Fathers often say no. It doesn't matter. Some of your kids come to you and say, Dad, I believe. I believe and I'm counting in your name, Dad. You're going to let me hang out all night at the bar with my friends. And you're going to say, I don't care if you say that in my name. You're not doing that. But you see, people think that that's the way God operates, that he, he jumps out on cue if you just have, you know, couched it in his name, whatever. And again, I can't tell you how many people I know who, because they ask God something, something they even thought was fair. You know, God, I'm not asking this for me. I'm asking for a child. I don't want my child to die. And when God doesn't go, genie God fixed it, they walk away from God. But what I always want to say is, who told you that's the way God operates? Who told you God was a shield who was just going to you know, make your life a bed of roses and anything bad went wrong? He was going to jump in. He's going to make you rich. He's going to make your business successful. He's going to make you popular. He's going to make you famous. I want to say, who, who told? And listen, listen, if you walked away from that God, good, <laughs> because that God doesn't exist. <laughs> That God doesn't exist, the genie God doesn't exist, nor does the Santa Claus God, nor does the tooth fairy God, who's going to put money under your, you know, make you rich, and yeah, doesn't exist. You know, I never forget when, when I got the x-ray that showed that I might have cancer. Went to the hospital, had an x-ray, I was talking to the technician, comes to Christ Fellowship, after the x-ray was over, he said, Rick, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but there's something on that x-ray. You need to go right now and get it checked. And so I remember praying, God, deliver me from this cancer. God, if it's in there, take it out. And you know what, folks? Fact is, I expected God to take it away. I did. I was expecting it because I was saying, God, I know you're going to take this away because, God, we've got so much more I need to be doing. And, God, I'm not going to be able to do that if I've if I got cancer. So, you know, God, I, I'm expecting you. God, I believe you're going to take this away. <laughs> Folks, not only did God not take it away, not only did I have cancer, I had advanced stages of cancer. <laughs> not what I expected. 
not what I expected God to do. And that's why this is so, so important. Write this down as three. There can be an expectation gap between us and God. And by that I mean there can be a gap, watch this, between what we expect God to do when we pray and what God actually does do. You know, we're expecting X and God does Y. We're expecting X and God doesn't do either one. Example in point, listen to this. If we're thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve will deliver us out of it. In other words, as soon as we go in, he's going to pull us out. And he will deliver us out. Expectation. <laughs> what did God actually do? What does God do? What he does here? Verse 23. Here's what he actually does. And these three men, firmly tied, were delivered out of the blazing furnace. That's what they were expecting. What happened? Fell into the blazing furnace. See, so there was a gap between what they were expecting God to do and what God actually did. They were expecting God to just snatch them out, but that's not what God did. So there's a gap between what they were expecting and what God did. Been there? Any of you been there? You prayed for God to do this, and God didn't do this. And so there was this gap between what you prayed for, what you were expecting, what God did. Listen, at that moment, here is the ultimate question. What are you going to put in the gap? You see, if you think of God as the shield guy, if you think of God as genie God, you know, he's going to jump and make everything right. When he does it, what you're going to put in the gap is... I don't trust God. Or I don't think God's good. Or I don't even believe in God anymore. If that's, if I wasn't expecting that, I thought you were like this. And I, don't, I don't even know if I believe in you anymore. That's what you can put in the gap. Or, here's what you can put in the gap. I trust God. Even if he doesn't, I trust God. God, and then here's what you expect. Write this down as number three. I got to hurry here. Expect God's presence in the conflict. Listen to verse 19 again. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Not what they were expecting to happen. But, 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 but let me hasten ahead. Watch what does happen to them. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, 
I see four men walking around in the fire. Folks, this is so crucial. They are in the midst of the conflict. They are in the midst of this fiery furnace and in perfect peace. They're just walking around. No panic. They're not in there going, oh God, why are you allowing this? They're just peacefully walking around in the fire. You say, how could they do that? It's simple. Listen to verse 25. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. You say, who's that? That's the presence of God in the form of an angel. Some say that's the presence. That's, some say that's a pre-incarnate view of the son of God himself. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you. Even when you're going through the fires, I will be there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. You see, write this down as A. Peace comes not from the absence of conflict. If your peace is going to come when you have no conflict, you're never going to have peace. No, write this down as B. Peace comes from the presence of God. Listen, conflict's a part of life. It's a part of your story. If there were no conflict in your story, your story would be boring. But you can have peace in the midst of conflict. Why? How? Just by being aware that God is with you. You may not even feel it. You may not sense it, but just being aware. He's with me in the fire, which is why they could say, oh God, we believe you are able to deliver us. But even if you don't, we trust you. We trust you because we know you'll be with, with us. You know, when, when I found out I had cancer, I got it, <laughs> you know, have, I had cancer. And that became my prayer. I adopted this prayer. I began to pray, God, I believe you're able to save me from this cancer. I started the chemo treatment. God, I believe you're able to save me from this cancer. But God, even if you don't, my hope is in you. My trust is in you. And check this out, folks. At the same time this was all happening, that I began praying the prayer of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, I know you're able to take this way. God, I know you're able. But God, even if you don't, I trust you my hope is in you and i downloaded that new song that came out that came that this song came out that was that same prayer i downloaded it and that song became my go-to song all through all of that take a listen then i'm gonna come back close They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. But right now, oh right now I'm losing back. I stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now. Oh, right now I just can't 
It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? you. Everybody say it again. Oh God, I know you're able, but even if you don't, I trust you. Can I read the rest of the story? Because the story's from good to great. Write that down and see it. I'm going to close. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will. They're asking God, keep us out of that fire. God snatches out. That's their ask. <laughs> By the way, you know, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do that. But mind you, when God speaks of his name, God's name is the composite of all of his attributes. God's name stands in for him, as it were, for his attributes, one of which is his will. So God is saying, when you're asked, lines up with his will and you ask God says I'll do that <laughs> but listen sometimes sometimes God says no to to our ask because because our ask is too small we're asking for something and God's got better greater things in mind so you're, you know I'm saying God you know do this and God's going I got something better than that they're saying God just take us out of the fire God says I got something better verse 24 let me read this quickly then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire they replied certainly your majesty he said look I see four men walking around in the fire <laughs> unbound unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of the gods 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. God didn't take them out of the fire. He took them through the fire. God says, I'll take you through it. God didn't take Noah out of the flood. He took Noah through the flood. He didn't take Daniel out of the den of lions. He took him through. And that's exactly what he does here. Watch this. And the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire. They didn't even smell like they'd been in the fire, but they had gone through it. 29, Nebuchadnezzar says, Therefore I declare, decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. What way? He didn't take them out of the fire. He took them through the fire. And that was a testimony. That was a much bigger testimony to, ne to Nebuchadnezzar. He got saved. He trusted God. Listen, God didn't take me, didn't take the cancer out of me, but he sure took me through it. And I'm telling you, that's, a, that's much better, much more powerful. In fact, just this week, I got a letter, an email from one of our friends down at our homestead campus who said, Rick, and he didn't know I was preaching on this. He said, Rick, I got saved from watching God walk you through cancer. And my girlfriend got saved by watching God walk you through cancer. And we're now married and we're serving at our homestead campus. God bless you, brother. What a testimony. So sometimes God wants to do better. So listen, if you're, if you're in the fire, hang in there because God wants to do something more amazing than you ever even imagined. Keep your hope in Him. Amen. You know, by the way, I remember, I remember when I was listening to that song, I gotta say this. One night I was listening to it in the bed, Rhonda was laying beside me. And I said, honey, listen to this song. You know, the even if he does it. And she got about halfway through it and she pulled it out, the earphones out. She said, I don't wanna hear that, Rick. I don't wanna hear even if he does it. And I said, honey, that's our hope. <laughs> because even if he does it, God's got something great planned for me, I'll be in heaven which is far more amazing than this world and you'll join me in time honey this is our hope and listen if you're here today and you don't have that hope god wants to give you that hope and he can do it right where you're seated the bible says whoever calls on him will be saved if you're here today and you walked away from genie god <laughs> good he doesn't exist but if you want a relationship with the true God who loves you and who wants to walk with you through the conflicts, the door's wide open. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens it, I will come in. So if you want to receive him today, let's bow our heads at all of our campuses. If you want to receive him as your savior, let me lead you in a prayer. You pray this prayer to him. That's your way of opening the door. Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. 
thank you. Thank you that you want to walk with me in my life. Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that you raised him for the, from the dead to pay the price for my sins and to give me eternal life. So right now, I open the door to my heart, to my life. I ask you to forgive all my sins. And I ask you to give me everlasting life. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for giving me eternal life. May I spend the rest of my days following you, loving you, being loved by you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. If you're glad for those who prayed that prayer, let them know it. Yes. If you want to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know at cfmemmy.org slash connect and filling out a connection card. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We love you and God bless.